Good morning. Please have your Bible ready in the book of Colossians in chapter 2, starting at verse 16. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. I'll take a few minutes to reset our context, and then our objective today will be to cover verses 16 through 23 in Colossians chapter 2. Very specific warnings are written here from God through Paul to the Christians in Colossae and ultimately for our learning and our benefit today. Colossians 2, 16 through 23, let's begin with prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for Christ who lived and died for us and was raised from the dead that we might have hope. May we hold to him who is the head, and may we grow with the increase that is from thee. In Christ's name, amen. Listen to the text, please, in Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still living or alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That's Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Let me go back now and take a moment to reset what we call the context, the historical setting of this passage. There were Christians in Colossae working together as members of a local church. The Apostle Paul had not enjoyed direct contact with them, but he had confidence in a preacher who worked there, Epaphras. Paul became aware of an insidious, false religion that was spreading in Colossae and Laodicea, being promoted there. And so he wrote this letter to enrich them and inform their faith and to equip them to defend the faith against any spiritual threat or menace. Reading through Colossians, we are able to get some very definite pictures of this false religion, though it's hard to get exactly a handle on what to call it. There are four things are clear about it. Number one, this religious system was demeaning to Jesus Christ. 
Number two, the advocates of this religious system enforced rules men came up with. Three, certain men who led this movement claimed higher status, higher enlightenment, suggesting that Christians needed something in addition to what God offers in Christ. And number four, there was an ongoing effort <clears throat> to impose upon Christians certain aspects of Judaism like circumcision and the Sabbath. It was a mix of a number of different things going on in the culture around Colossae and Laodicea. Paul's response to this in the Colossian letter, and especially here in chapter 2, is you are complete in Christ. What God provides in Jesus Christ that you responded to when you obeyed the gospel and that you continue in as you live according to Christ, that's all you need. There is no higher level that you move to because you've adopted the ways of men. Now let's go <clears throat> to our text today in verses 16 and 17. I want to read from the ESV and then the New King James and we'll talk about it. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. New King James. Therefore, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you that what is being done here is the statement of a conclusion. What single word in the text immediately signals to me that this is a statement of conclusion? Therefore, therefore is that transitional word that is saying to us, that what is about to be said is based on what has just been said before it. The format is sometimes referred to in classes that analyze literary structure as the if-then structure. So, let's do that. If Christ is the singular one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, if he is Christ Jesus the Lord, if it is true that in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, and if it's true that we are complete in him, if all these great accomplishments came to pass when he died on the cross and was raised from the dead, then let no one judge you about things that are not according to Christ. That's it. That's the point of this. Let no one judge you about things that are not according to Christ, because in Christ you are complete. And as you, as a member of His body, hold fast to the head, you have everything you need. There is no super elevated status that you can attain to by listening to these men who are circulating these philosophies in Laodicea and in Colossae. Let no one judge you about such things. It is not difficult 
given the context, to now imagine pretty clearly what was happening. There were people who did not believe what Paul was teaching about the sufficiency of Christ. There were some who were clinging to the law of Moses. Even though Paul has just said previously it was wiped away by the cross. There were some who were dabbling in other religious forms. Forms that were pagan in their origin. Some who were mixing all this up with current philosophy. And with this syncretism or this mixture, they were telling the Christians in Colossae, Christ is all right and you can go ahead and follow him. But to get to this other higher level, you need to listen to us. And Paul says, no. They were adversely judging the Colossians because the Colossians didn't engage in all the rituals and observe all the festivals that they said took them to this higher plane. Apparently, Colossians were troubled by that, and Paul said, don't be troubled by that. Don't let anybody judge you or disqualify you or defraud you. You have Christ. And remember what Paul has said about him. He is the head of all principality and power, By his death, burial, and resurrection, he disarmed all his enemies. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were raised with him through faith in the working of God, having forgiven you all your trespasses, so don't let somebody trouble you about your relationship with God. Don't let someone judge you as unworthy because you don't participate in the rituals and the menus and observe the calendar religious dates that they do. It is like they are clinging tightly to the shadow when the substance is already here. The Old Testament described images and types and shadows and gave prophecies. Christ is the substance of that. So it's like there were people in Colossae and Laodicea hanging on to certain parts of the shadow without recognizing that Christ, the substance of that shadow, has come and he's died. And as you respond to his death and his burial and resurrection by being buried with him in baptism, You have exactly what you need as you continue in the faith. There is no higher plane to try to attain to. So that's what this is about. Here's what I want to do to bring all this together, to collect all this. I want to go back and start at verse 6 and read us over into some of this. And I think you'll see what we speak of. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority." In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh 
by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Christ is here now. We can live under His authority based on the atonement of His cross, continue in the faith, and that's exactly and completely what we need to be in a good relationship with God. Questions or comments? 17 and, uh, 16 and 17. Colossians 2. So he says in verse 18, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. I want you to lock into verse 18, and I'm going to tell you something that connects to it. Televised religion seems to be receiving less attention these days now that there is YouTube and internet streaming and social media. I'm thinking the use of TV for broadcasting religious error has been transferred over to the internet. It's not that the religious error has gone away, it's just the medium has changed. But in the 60s up through about 2010, the popular television evangelist in my personal assessment, fit neatly into this verse. There was evidence of financial and spiritual fraud in many cases. And it came out very clearly publicly. There were claims of visions and direct communication from God. Go back and look at some of those campaigns and some of those TV preachers, and they're going to say, the Lord spoke to me, and, and I've actually seen them do this. The Lord spoke to me and told me to tell you, now that's where a stop sign needs to be put. Don't listen to that. Here's what the Lord told us. Claims of visions and direct communication from God, and here's the net of it, imposing on their listeners many things that are not according to Christ. Well, they didn't have television in Colossae in the first century or the internet, but they had false teachers who sought to disqualify Christians from their blessings and take them captive over into their cult, their group, their philosophy, their self-made religion. Now, let, let's think about what it means to be defrauded. That's the New King James word here, defrauded. In our time, we would immediately think of identity theft, where someone uses your personal information to open an account, spend money, 
in your name, you are defrauded. And so every day we're warned about scams and schemes and somebody taking advantage of our information and we suffer some loss. That's the idea of being defrauded. This is worse. This is worse. This is worse than the loss of money in your bank account or the use of your credit card. This is letting someone take you away from Christ. That's much worse than any monetary loss. And that's the kind of fraud Paul is exposing in Colossians 2, particularly in verse 18. Now, if Paul says, let no one defraud you of your reward... If Paul says something like that, or let no one disqualify you, there are three things we know immediately, particularly from those translations that use the terminology reward. The Christian has a reward. It is possible to lose it, but we must not let that happen. How simple is that? God has promised the Christian a reward. It is possible to lose it, but we must not let that happen. As a Christian, I have to hold to what God has given me in Christ and let nobody intrude upon that. I have all the spiritual blessings I need in Christ, and they're mine. And men may try to deceive me that there's some other higher plane I need to move on to. No. I must not let my guard down and men defraud me. I could lose my reward. Or as it reads in the ESV, disqualified. Or in the NIV, disqualify you from your prize. So let's pay good attention to this so that we are well informed and we know what to watch for. Paul tells the Colossians, and he really tells us what to watch for. Look at the phrase in the New King James, taking delight in false humility. We need to talk about that. False humility. We need to know what false humility is all about. Puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Taking delight in false humility. Now, if there's false humility, what is there over there on the other side? True humility. So to identify false humility, you need to go to the, to the, true, the true and real. True humility is an objective godly attitude that you have about yourself. That's true humility. You know who you are before God. You are very honest about who you are. True humility is a virtue of heart when the heart is consumed with the love of God. True humility is essential to conversion, and it's fundamental to good character and conduct afterwards. Now, that's true humility. All right, now move over to the ugly side. False humility lies only on the surface, and it's just a mask. It's a costume. Something somebody wears to gain an advantage. It is a pretense. It is an effect that seeks some personal advantage. But it doesn't run deep. It's not true. Now here's the reality. 
Some people pretend to be very humble, but it isn't sincere. And you may not detect that immediately. So here's what you do. Whether somebody appears to be humble or not, whatever somebody tells you about your relationship with God, you're going to see if it's here. That's what you're going to do. You're going to see if it's here. If the person talking to you seems to be humble, but really underneath there's pride, and you're unable to detect that immediately, then you can't depend upon that form of detection. Here is a form of detection you can depend upon every single time you open the book. Some people pretend to be very humble, but it isn't sincere. So we need to be on guard. And I don't mean to assume everybody is insincere. I don't mean being suspicious of everybody. But we need to understand there is one objective test of what people tell us about our relationship with God that will always be absolutely dependable and authentic. And that's this test. Are you with me? You see how important this is? Not everybody's what they appear to be, but this is exactly what it's written to be. Some people are really susceptible to charming personalities. If that's the case with you, I hope you know that about yourself because that'll be a part of the guard that you put up. Some people are really susceptible to charming personalities. You become acquainted with someone and they make such an impression on you and there seems to be such humility and maturity and wisdom and, and it's magnetic. And they make you feel good about yourself and they're charismatic and they're fervent. And if you're not careful, all of those initial emotional subjective impressions can lead you to a place where you just open your mind up and just take in anything they say. No matter how charming and eloquent and persuasive they seem to be, here's the test you can depend upon. You can't depend upon your initial impressions about people. You may be good at it. After many, many years, you may be pretty good at it. But here's the ultimate test of what people say to you. Be on guard. Don't be carried away by someone's magnetic personality. And keep yourself grounded in the faith, faith in Christ, who is our all-sufficient Savior. A Savior. Let no one defraud you of your reward, taking delight in false humility. Look at the phrase. Look at the phrase, worship of angels. Worship of angels in verse 18. We need to talk about that. By the way, I may not make it all the way down to verse 23, but there's another time. Worship of angels. I want to be plain about this. The Bible describes the existence of angels. You just put a peg down there. That's, that's true. And the Bible tells us some things about God's use of angels through the ages. But I don't know everything about angels. I don't know everything about angels. I'm very clear about two things about angels. Angels are not equal to Christ. And we are not to worship angels. 
So I need to know those two things, and those two things are clear. Now, you can speculate about angels and debate about angels and enjoy stories that people tell with little or no evidence or edification benefit. But we must be clear about these two things. Angels are not equal with Christ. There is an entire chapter in the New Testament that affirms angels are not equal to Christ. Anybody know that chapter? Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 is dedicated to the proposition that angels are not equal to Christ. I need to know that. And two, we are absolutely forbidden to worship angels. Jesus said, worship God only. Matthew 4 verse 10, And when John fell before the feet of angels in Revelation 22 9, he was told to get up. So whatever you don't know about angels, God's use of them, two things you absolutely can and must know. They are not equal to Christ, and we are not to worship angels. So there is some evidence from history, and I think in this passage, that these false teachers circulating around uh, Hierapolis, Laodicea, Colossae, had this tactic. <clears throat> They would say, we are men of such humility. We don't even go before the throne of God, and we don't even go through Jesus Christ. We are so humble and lowly, we worship angels. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. Here's what Paul says. Let no one disqualify you, insisting <clears throat> on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. It is a sensuous mind that comes up with this, not a spiritual mind. Try to imagine the scene, the situation. These men are circulating in Colossae and they're talking to Christians and they say, well, we understand that you believe in Christ, and that's okay, but we are so humble and so spiritual and so pious, and we have reached such a state that we worship angels. And they would urge then the Christians in Colossae to do the same. Paul says, don't let anybody defraud you. Don't let anybody disqualify you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels and intruding into things which he has not seen. Now, the guy may say, last night God told me this and told me to tell you this. Paul says he hasn't seen that. Don't, don't listen to that. Put your ears and eyes to the book. All right, I'm supposed to do takeaways. But I really need to kind of edit as I go here. There are a couple of other things I need to cover in this text. Let's talk about the first phrase in verse 19. Holding fast to the head. Here's what that is. It's a direct connection between members of the body of Christ with the head of the body of Christ. So don't let anybody tell you 
Well, if you want to really hold fast to the head of the church, you've got to come through me. No, that's put up that stop sign. You're not going there. Members of the body of Christ are to be attached to the head. And if you let somebody intrude upon that relationship you have with God through Christ, and you're not holding fast the head, growth and nourishment and relationship with God stops. Not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Read verse 19 backwards. If you want the growth that comes from God, you've got to remain attached to the head. You've got to hold fast to the head. Let nobody intrude upon that relationship that you formed with God through Christ when you were buried with Him in baptism. Growth stops when you turn loose of the head. Well, some of this other from about uh, 20 down to 23, I'm going to have to keep for Wednesday night. You'll come back Wednesday night and we'll cover what we didn't cover today. But I need to get to takeaways. I want to talk about this idea of letting no one pass judgment on you. I've used this image of putting the stop sign up and telling people no. I want to make it clear I'm not recommending that you use any tactics of insult or ugliness and certainly not violence when people approach you with false doctrine. But you have to be clear. Nobody is going to judge me when I'm living my life according to Christ, holding fast to the head, using the Word of God to discern between truth and error. I know in emotional circumstances there's a real line that it's easy to cross over into of insulting and name-calling and being ugly about it. Not recommending that, but rather clarity. Let no one pass judgment on you. And today, <clears throat> it may not be, likely will not be, the specific errors that were taught in Colossae and Hierapolis and Laodicea in that River Valley area where this teaching was circulating. It's unlikely somebody's going to come to you and say, well, now, if, if you'll just keep the Sabbath, uh, as the Old Testament describes it, you'll, you'll reach this higher plane. You make sure all your boys are circumcised on the eighth day. If, if when the moon comes to a certain place, you will observe that Old Testament festival based out of Leviticus 12, it's unlikely somebody's going to come to you with that. But it is very likely somebody's going to come to you and they say, I've listened to this guy who's just turned my life all around. You know one good response to that? I already know somebody who's turned my life all around. I don't know who you met. I don't know the book you read or what you've listened to on YouTube. But I've already met the one who has turned my life around. 
it's very likely that you would hear that sort of appeal made today. Maybe by people that appear to be humble, but let no one pass judgment on you. And then, uh, this is just another way to say the first, let no one disqualify you. Think about being qualified. You've met conditions. You, you've been a recipient of God's grace, just as God instructed. And you are now qualified. You're a saint awaiting the inheritance of the saints in heaven. You can't let somebody tamper with that or take that away from you, no matter their first impression on you, no matter how many follow them and how much fun it appears to be at first. Let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one disqualify you. And then I'm going to add a third to that. Be on the alert to self-made religion. In the study of comparative religion, there's something called syncretism. A syncretistic religion is a religion that is composed of borrowing from other religions. Uh, I'll take a little paganism. It's kind of like a recipe, you know, or a cafeteria. I'll take a little paganism, and I'll mix into it just enough uh, mosaic uh, ordinances and a little bit of first century Judaism. And then there is this Gnostic philosophy that's going around. It really sounds good. You get in touch with yourself, and it's, it's new agey. So I'll put some of that in there. And then... Then some Protestant denominational creeds I'll put in there, maybe a little Roman Catholicism. That's what a lot of people do. They look around in the world or religion and they pick and choose a little bit from each one. And what they wind up with is what I sometimes call Home Depot religion. Where you go get the parts that you like and you put them all together the way you want to put them together. That's self-made religion. What we need is God-made religion. And that's what's provided in Jesus Christ. So let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one disqualify you. Watch out for the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. May I add to that, every now and then somebody, maybe among your friends, will come along and they will suggest that they have found something that nobody else has discovered since the world began. You know, I begin to turn the volume down on somebody like that right away. I begin to put the stop sign up right away. First of all, it is absolutely arrogant for somebody to come along and say, well, here I am in 2018. Nobody else has ever discovered this. Wow, am I smart. Look at what I have found. I would just turn the volume down on that and click the switch. God had a plan before the world began. He carried out that plan as described in the Old Testament. The plan came to fruition in a complete way when Jesus came. He lived, he died, was buried, raised from the dead, and the gospel was revealed. That's God-made religion. Been around a long time. A lot of people have studied it before us. And it's the same as it was when those folks existed. And it's what we need to be complete in Jesus Christ. 
Looks like one minute remains. I have collected together these uh, phrases to punctuate as we go through Colossians 2. I brought this up to your attention the other day. Let, don't let anyone kidnap you. Vivid language that, that has the imagery of, of violence taking you away from what God has provided. Don't let anyone kidnap you. Don't let anyone condemn you or judge you because you're not doing what they say you ought to do. You need to do what Christ said. And don't let anyone disqualify you. Someone is out to capture the Colossians' allegiance to Christ. And Paul is in full response mode. Well, I need to pick up at verse 20 and move down through verse 23 Wednesday night. Hope you'll be able to come back and be with us then. Thank you for your good attention to our study.